Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is a very special episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. You guys know that normally it is Charlie and I on here doing the Lord's work, talking about the news that's going on. Well, we're going to be doing a very special series leading up to the election, highlighting some candidates in local elections, a lot of them on the Libertarian Party tickets. Today's first episode is with a guy named Ian Peake. Really, really great ideas coming from him. I can tell you, if I lived in his district in Illinois, which is the 115th district, which uh, I used to live in his district in Illinois, if I did live there, that is who I would be voting for, for sure. But it's very important to highlight people who are on the ballot that aren't just on the major parties, of course, because the major parties have led us to where we are right now. So I would highly recommend that you go to peakliberty.com and consider supporting Ian's campaign. At least follow him on social media. Share his stuff, especially if you live in the area. But we're going to be talking about some great ideas and a lot of terrible things going on in Illinois that need solved. So without wasting any more of your guys' time, here's the interview. Uh, my name's Ian Peake. I'm the Libertarian candidate in Illinois' 115th district. I know most people that aren't from Illinois assume Chicago and they hear the word Illinois, but I'm down here in the deep southern portion of the Illinois redneck country. <laughs> a little bit about myself. I have a, a background in restaurant management. I've done a little blue-collar work. Um, I'm just a regular guy. I'm what you might consider a nerd. I have more comic books than anybody else I know, and I am very well-versed in Star Wars lore. There you go. Uh, so being from that part of Illinois, you know, you mentioned right off the bat, not Chicago. That's something that I've noticed a lot. Anytime I tell someone that I'm from Illinois, they're like, oh, yeah, I've been to Chicago. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I've been there a couple times. It's like a six hour drive from where I'm from. Uh, what's it like? Yeah. Being, yeah, what's exactly. it like being someone trying to get things done in Illinois or being from Illinois and not being in Chicago? It kind of seems like Chicago runs the place, doesn't it? Chicago does run the place. They have just roughly 60% of the population, so they get 60% of the state representatives and the state senators. <clears throat> so they kind of um, they push the, their agenda on, on us, us folks down here in the southern portion. But uh, So you get all the Democrat policy living in southern Illinois, but it's Trump country, so you get all the, the, the Donald Trump um, culture. So it's really the worst of both worlds. <laughs> that that is a good good way of putting it. Do you think is there a pretty growing overall uh, anti-government or small government movement happening in Illinois right now because of everything that's been going on? Uh, have you seen people even leaving the the right side of the aisle and thinking, you know, maybe it's a good idea to just not have the government taking all this money from us and having all this power? It's growing. It's growing not as fast as I'd like to see it. Um, I through the primary uh, bulk of my activism through the Libertarian Party of Illinois. Um, I've, I've been, I've been in the, a member of the party since 2012, but I've been active since 2015, and I have seen a lot of growth in those, uh, those past five years. Um, outside of the Libertarian Party of Illinois, there is an increasing, uh, shockingly increasing number of people that want to uh, split Illinois into two states. There's a number of organizations that each have uh, different strategies and different uh, different overall goals. Some people say, you know, it should just be Chicago. Others say everything uh, north of Interstate 80. But if, uh, I'm starting to see these, these organizations form coalitions and working together to try to uh, create a new Illinois or a southern Illinois state of its own, uh, which I think is a, a really neat libertarian concept, you know, secession and, and um, 
Yeah, sort of I've been completely behind that idea. Like, a, like we were saying before, my whole family is up there in Illinois, and, and I fled the area about I fled the area about ten years ago, and I've just seen it go downhill so fast because of what the state government has been doing there. And I did notice this big movement to separate the state, and of course, I've been going back and forth in my head: where would it be separated? Uh, probably since Chicago is going to have a lot to do with that decision, they might want to keep Champaign. They might want to keep U of I. Um, you know, I don't know that they want to keep Springfield. I don't, I don't really know if they would care to have Springfield or not. Um, they'd probably just like to have their capital there in Chicago and, and start drawing lines around that way. But, but man, would the people of Southern Illinois benefit if they could get Chicago off their back? I really think so. I really do. Um, we see a lot of corruption coming from Chicago and uh, filtering into uh, corruption comes with a high uh, price tag when you go to pay your tax bill. And because that filters into our daily lives in one form or another. Um, not to say that there isn't any corruption south of Chicago. I'm sure it exists just about anywhere, but uh, that's just where you see the bulk of it concentrated. We uh, down here in Southern Illinois, even the Democrats like their gun. Uh, Chicago kind of sets the tone for, for gun policy in Illinois. I think that we would see, a much more lax uh, gun gun owner policy. Uh, I'm sorry, gun ownership policy. Should we be separated from Chicago? And um, I just think generally, you know, poor country folk are a little bit better at managing their money than the city slickers. I think that we would have a more balanced budget. I think that we would uh, have less government spending and lower taxes, or at least I hope that that is the hope. You are dealing with a lot of farmers in that area. And one good thing, uh, I come from a farm family. One good thing about farmers is they have to look into the future all the time, which is something that that a lot of other people don't have to do as much. I think farmers appreciate planning for the future a lot more than other people do. So sure. uh, I, I do think that, that they would do a lot better job at managing their money down there. You were mentioning... Even the even the Democrats down there would be more pro gun. Uh, other than the universities, would you say the Democrats around there are more like JFK style Democrats? You know, your 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 sixties style Dem- Democrat people that that want the government to do some things, but maybe they're not just ardent leftists like what we're seeing around the country right now. I think more so to do with geographical location. What I've noticed. Uh, personally, it has more to do with age. The, the younger folks are more inclined to support, like the uh, Bernie, style, Bernie Sanders, you know, Norwegian style of a um, of a safety net, a really massive safety net. Uh, whereas, you know, the uh, the older generations, they just kind of want uh, basic needs taken care of for those that can't afford them, They're taken care of by the government. That is, to be specific, for those that can't afford them, and maybe. Some gun control measures, but not outright uh, weapons bans, not outright uh, assault weapons bans, that sort of thing. What's really interesting, you mentioned Bernie Sanders and people supporting the more Norwegian style. I bet a lot of those people would be surprised to find out that Bernie actually wouldn't support a lot of the Norwegian style economic policies that they that they have to create their systems, which are which are low low taxes on production and high taxes on on the people themselves the people in the middle class actually being included in the higher tax brackets and not exactly having a a set out government minimum wage things like that. I don't even know if Bernie would actually support the policies that lead to those outcomes that they get. They just want the outcomes without actually having the policies. It it, it would be 
it'd be interesting to see if they would ever actually enact anything that looked like a like a Denmark style policy. I agree. These uh, these vast welfare states are propped up by uh, very free market and very very capitalistic, um, uh, very capitalist economic policies, pro capitalist ones. Um, I think that they hear the word socialism and they think that it is this one, you know, this thing where it's just uh, the, the government taxes the rich and then helps the poor, and they don't understand what they're actually up, what they're actually in support of. Yeah, the what I've what I've just noticed so far is they they want the outcomes that those countries have had, but not ha- not to actually take the course that they went to uh, to get there, which was not trying to chase all of the businesses away, which is something that Illinois seems to be pretty good at. What have, what have you seen over the last several years when it comes? To, I know they've had a population decline, businesses have had to uh, have had to leave, and what's that been like up there? It's it's uh, it's actually kind of heartbreaking to be honest. Uh, how, this, how it's affected me personally. Um, you see population decline. I don't think that's accurate. I think I would more describe it as a mass exodus. Yeah. Um, I've got I've got a ton of friends and family that have that fled the states and I uh, or this this state. I'm sorry, and I you know miss miss them. I'm happy for them that they're doing better and they're they're happy where they're at. But uh, and then uh, as far as businesses goes, uh, Carbondale's in my district. It's College Town, SIUC. Go to Lucy's. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be just the, the, the coolest thing about Southern Illinois. You could go there, and every little restaurant was a hole in the wall, mom and pop shop with the, the best food, cheap drinks. Uh, there was always something to do, always somewhere to go, even if you were on a budget. You know, when I lived down in Carterville, I hung out in Carbondale a lot. I, uh, I, was, I was a broke college kid, and I didn't have much of a budget for entertainment, but I could still find a way to kill a day in Carbondale. It was on 20 25 bucks. Um all these small businesses are going away because um, people are retiring and their their offspring don't want to take on the role of being a business owner in the hostile environment Illinois created, or they're just being taxed and regulated out of business to where they can't even afford to keep the doors open. Minimum wage is going up to $15 an hour. Uh, business taxes in Illinois are through the roof. Um, and then all the, all the regulations that you have to follow, the federal government already set enough environmental protection regulations, more than enough. I, uh, environmental protection regulations and workplace regulations, workplace safety regulations, and that sort of thing. Uh, for, for Illinois to take it further than the federal government already has, there's absolutely no call for that whatsoever. There, there really isn't. And I was talking to my family. I mean, you're right about it being heartbreaking. My family are business owners, and uh, my mom's a teacher up there, and seeing what what she's gone through with some of that, uh, it really is sad to see the place fall apart like it has, and. That is kind of why I wanted to start with talking about Chicago because I feel like um, if you some of the policies that they enact, like uh, like the gas tax they just put out, the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage, things like that, uh, maybe sometimes you can do that in a city that's got millions of people and they've got some type of attraction, like living in that city for some reason. But when it comes down state in Illinois. Um, you kind of need to have a lot of farmland or be at a at a manufacturing plant that, uh, that you couldn't go anywhere else. They don't exactly have uh, what New York has to offer or what California has to offer that could justify raising those taxes and raising those prices. You kind of have to look, well, maybe I should go to Kentucky. Maybe I should go to Indiana or Missouri or or Tennessee, something like that. I don't think they've, I hope they learned that lesson. Do you think, do you th- do you think the people in that area 
are starting to learn that lesson a little bit? I think so. I think that uh, people are seeing the damage that the, the governor's doing uh, with the shutdowns and everything. I think that they are coming to understand that when you interfere with businesses to that extent, it's, it's harmful for, it's harmful for everybody. You know, when, um, when you hear about the Caterpillar plant in central Illinois up and moving to a different state for, for a lower tax break, you can be mad at the, uh, the, the plant owner because, well, he's just being greedy. He doesn't want to pay his fair share. And now all these people are out, uh, out these good manufacturing jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But when it's your business that's shut down because of government overreach, now you have a new villain. Now, you, now you're starting to see who is actually making life harder for, for the workers, the working class here. And what I hope is that people would understand it's, it's not the factory's fault that that's happening. Anyone would make that decision if you had a place uh, and the means to, to move somewhere with lower rent or with lower, uh, just say, utility bills or lower anything, and you could do it. You, you as a person, you would, you would probably do it. And that's simply right. what businesses are going to do also. They're going to move somewhere where they can have those lower expenses. And taxes are an expense on a business. So the, exactly. the, they, yeah. they've got to move. One thing I definitely want to talk to you about, because we spent 30 minutes on our show yesterday talking about it, is the fair tax. This, this nice progressive tax plan, stealing the name fair tax from uh, what used to be an, an almost actual fair tax, if there were a fair way to steal money from people without their consent, sure. uh, then, then a flat tax, which Illinois actually has, seems to be more fair than charging different people different rates. What's Tell me what you think about this tax plan that's on the ballot. Oh, this has come up a lot this, uh, this election cycle. I'm glad because uh, people from both sides of the aisle are seeing that it's not the best move for Illinois. Um, a lot of people are, are in favor of progressive income taxes and uh, more complicated tax codes. I think they, they like them on the surface because it sounds like, well, the, the rich are going to pay their fair share and I'm going to come out of this, you know, maybe even better off, um, either in the form of maybe I pay a little bit more in taxes, but I receive more in aid or maybe my tax break goes or my tax bill goes down because I, uh, you know, I live uh, under this, uh, this income line. A recent study showed that families that are going to save money on the fair tax are going to save roughly $4 a year. Um, I, what would you do with an extra four dollars a year, Nate? I mean, that, that, to me, that's not that's not relief at all. Yeah. And you know, you could say, well, this is going to pay for all these government benefits and stuff like that. And I just don't see how that's possible when Illinois has ten billion dollars in unpaid loans, either the short-term loans that we're paying, you know, have a plan to pay back, which is something to the tune of two point two billion dollars. We're at about eight point three billion dollars, so I mean, so we're closer to ten point five billion in unpaid loans. $8.3 billion in debt that we don't have a plan for, we don't have a concrete, solid plan for, then $143 billion, with a B, dollars in unpaid pension liabilities. Um, I don't see how a progressive income tax is going to balance the budget and also take care of your, your family's health care. It's just, it's just preposterous to think that there's enough money in the state to, to tackle all that. Yeah, another thing about it. They're talking about paying for new things on this, new things, new plans. They're yeah. gonna fund that. That it's not even projected to bring in enough to pay for the things they're not paying for right now. <laughs> right, but the the governor he gets up on stage, he's got a silver tongue, and he talks a, a good game of how, 
Well, he would have balanced the budget if it weren't for the, the economic crisis brought in, you know, the light of the pandemic and, um, and people seem to buy it. I, I, I think what it is, is a lot of people, I'm a, I'm a policy wonk. I'm a nerd. You know, I like reading about the numbers. I like reading about this stuff. I don't think it's something that's interesting to a lot of people. So this, these are concepts they could easily understand or grasp. It's just not, they're not passionate about it. They, they don't, they don't pour through like annual budgets and, uh, and stuff like that. They'll, uh, they'll get their news from their preferred news source or sources, kind of take it at face value and uh, go on about their day. That's not to say that they're unintelligent or that they're lazy or anything. It's just not their, um, it's just not their passion, you know, like it is mine. Um, Another thing I think that's really interesting about the folks that tend to support these, um, these really progressive, uh, really complicated tax codes is that these are the same people that are, that are, uh, mad that Donald Trump only paid $750 in, in federal income tax. Now I'm no fan of Donald Trump. Um, go to my personal Facebook page. I've probably poked more fun at him than Biden or I did at Clinton or anybody that he ran against in the primary in 2016. But, um, I just, uh, it's these complex tax codes that enable, you know, the, these, these wealthy people who can afford an army of accountants and lawyers to go through and find every single loophole and wind up paying less than, you know, those of us that are middle class or, or lower pay every year. They interesting, also, uh, interesting to me. They also pulled a bit of a trick on this where they passed, I believe it was last year, they passed what would be allegedly their their tax code their tax brackets and then they put this on the ballot and one thing i've noticed that a lot of people have a massive misconception about is that this vote is on that tax code and this is actually just a vote if i'm if i'm not mistaken to allow them to have a progressive tax this is not an actual vote on the tax brackets themselves is that is that correct that is precisely it, and that is by far my biggest complaint with this. Yeah. Um, let's say you you're a, a progressive and you you understand this, and um, you understand the economics of it. You come to the decision that you know, in order to have this this uh, progressive tax code that, that the governor wants, I have to vote yes on this. And when you take into consideration that we've got four out of eight governors in prison for corruption. We don't know who we're giving this power to four years, eight years down the line. We don't know what our general assembly is going to look like in 20 years. We don't know. Um, we could be voting to give this power to a, a heartless, you know, a heartless libertarian who's just going to abolish all tax. Crazy <laughs> like that. Yeah. We could be giving this power to, um, there's, you know, the, the alt-right. This media would have you believe that there's a, there's an alt-right movement that's, that's, um, that's servicing and, if that's the case, it's not. I don't think that it's um, preposterous to believe that maybe one of these people or a handful of these people wind up in the general assembly or in the governor's seat. We do be wanting to give that kind of power to someone like them. I mean, Illinois just had a Nazi running for Congress, unopposed in a, in a primary, a, a, a self-described Nazi, Art Jones, up in the third district. Well, I didn't know that. We got we got to keep in mind, you know. Yes, it's almost a libertarian trope. Would you give your greatest enemy this power? If not, then why would you give it to someone that you agree with? If your greatest enemy can wield against wield against you later. I really thought that more people would pick up on that idea after Donald Trump won the election. Uh, that maybe maybe you don't want 
the government to have this power in the first place because that's the only reason you would care about Donald Trump being the president is the power that he has as the president. And that goes all the way down. To, that goes to your state level, too. Uh, you would think mm-hmm. people would realize, um, I don't know who's ever going to have this control over me. And maybe maybe I would love Bernie Sanders to have this control. But do I want Donald Trump Jr. to have this control? Uh, do I, if I don't want that, then I can't give it to Bernie Sanders. Exactly. And, um, a lot of my, uh, a lot of my friends have asked me my opinion on it. I, this, this is usually the point I drive home and it's the one that seems to resonate with people the most. And I think that maybe it is perhaps having four, at least four years of Trump that, uh, they're starting to question whether or not, I mean, you know, under the Obama administration, they essentially gave Trump the power to, uh, drone strike whoever he wants to um under the bush administration we gave we put the power of uh donald trump to essentially declare war without congressional approval you know the, the president has all this power now and we're seeing him wield it and I, I i hope that we're learning uh, i hope that uh folks that tend to typically vote for more big government candidates are learning that um this is not always the wisest move. It's maybe politically expedient this year for that one goal that I have right now, but we don't know who's going to use this against us in the future. And that that is also a lesson for, because I know that you're probably in a pretty big conservative area, that is a lesson that conservatives need to know as well, that if you're, maybe you're okay with Trump doing this, or maybe down to your state representative, you're okay with a Republican doing this, but you don't know who's going to have that power in the future and people need to realize that when trump does something that is outside of the constitution or takes a new power grab of some kind you're giving you're giving that power to whoever comes after them you're not giving that to trump you're giving it to that office and that office will have the power just like you were saying obama had powers because we we gave them to bush bush had some powers that we had given to to clinton trump has powers that we had given to obama and the next person, whoever that might be, whether it's Biden or or whoever, is going to have powers that that people freely gave to Trump because they like Trump, and that is something I want to say because I know you're probably in a more conservative area, and you, you need to speak to the conservatives that listen. It's not just you don't you don't just need to be okay with this government control when it's your guy that's in office. You don't need to ever be okay with that control because you don't know for sure that it's always going to be your guy. And, and it's, oh, it's never going to always be your guy. Yeah. No, it's, it's not. And, and that is something that even conservatives need to learn because they get a little complacent, I think, especially in areas that eventually end up being conservative for a while, that they're okay because it's their guy. And eventually when that, when that turns and the population changes some, uh, you're left with your guy being gone Maybe he was there and he left because of old age eventually, but eventually your guy's gone and there's a new person in town and they've got all the same powers that you were okay with your guy having. And that, that is a lesson I, I really hope people will learn sometime. Yeah. Especially I believe that, you know, these, these, um, these concepts are kind of built into the uh, traditional conservative philosophy, you know? <laughs> um, so it's, it's sad to see that, you know, the left seems to be picking up on it. Um, and, but the, the writer just excited to see, I think after eight years of Obama, they're just excited to see Trump coming in and, and doing some things that, the, that they agree with and that they're not taking to heart what we're, uh, what we're, the, the slippery slope that we're building for future generations. 
one thing I've noticed with with conservatives is um you know on our pack on our podcast we do market more towards conservatives because we believe that they're that they are more predisposed to individual liberty than say someone on the left is and may, maybe I'm wrong but I believe that deep down in there when they talk about the constitution and the founding fathers that they are more predisposed to those ideas that they're more open to those ideas than people on the left would be and I think that they've made compromise after compromise uh, and kind of moved away from that, but still talk about it like it's something that everyone is is still is still doing. But I, I think a lot of people need to realize that if the founding fathers came back and looked at the situation that even Republicans were running around the country, that they would not be happy with it. And I would I would hope that they'd realize that if they if they talk about the founding fathers, the Constitution, the Republican Party is maybe still not your best bet when it comes to moving more towards the Constitution. The, that's that's why I'm a libertarian anyway. But um, I, I think that. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. You you go ahead. I, I think that there's a case to be made that it, that's a two way street. You definitely see it with conservatives. Uh, you would think that a conservative would be more predisposed to. Um, very minimal government and you know what the founding documents what the founding fathers had in mind when they when they created the nation which i think was probably the most if not the most minarchist uh, system of governance ever created in, in written history um but i find like the same uh, cognitive dissonance when i talk to folks on the left like they uh, they're they're taking to the streets wanting uh, police reform and criminal justice reform. And then we, we nominate the guy that wrote the 1994 crime bill in the Patriot Act. And then we, his running mate is one of the most arrestee cops in the history of, uh, of American politics. And <laughs> I think that they really think that, that this is going to be a move towards, um, towards, you know, real criminal justice reform. And I just, I, 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 I don't see it. I don't see how anyone could. You've got the person who wrote the law and then the person who enforced the law running together saying that they're going to stop what the law did. And somehow that works. And I think that right. really, I mean, do you think that they would be this popular or even considered if it were not for the hatred of Donald Trump? That something, Is this more people like Joe Biden or people hate Donald Trump, you think? I can attest to them. I guess this is anecdotal, but everyone I know, I don't know anyone that's uh, super excited about Biden. I don't know anybody that was super supportive of him in the primaries. Nobody my age. Um, but I think that, you know, he's just to uh, the progressive left and just, you know, to the left in general, I think he's just a lesser of two evils. Um, I think we saw the same thing in 2016. The Trump supporters in 2016 and the Trump supporters now are they're vocal, they're proud, they wear their Trump hat out in, you know, to the mall and to the post office. And uh, I drive past this one house on my way to work that's got no fewer than 10 or a dozen Trump sides. They're, they're super uh, proud to support their guy. You don't see that pride with, with Joe Biden. You don't, you know, you, you see more um, anti-Trump sentiment than pro-Biden sentiment coming from his support. That's, that's what I see in Southern Illinois anyway. Well, in our in our last few minutes here, just kind of tell me about how tell me about some things important to the people in your district in Illinois and how moving more towards a libertarian philosophy would actually help the people in that area more than what they've been getting. 
Um, I think we, we touched base on that briefly uh, early on during the interview, but uh, just speaking about, you know, Chicago having 60% of the legislators because they have 60% of the population. If we had a more decentralized government, and I'm not even saying split the state in two, um, but if we had a more decentralized government, Chicago could pass its own gun law, and the, the people in Chicago could vote for the politicians that, just using gun laws as the example, they could vote for the politicians that have the ideas for gun control that they agree with. Um, and if that works for Chicago, great. It hasn't so far, but um, at that point, it's not our problem down here anymore. Uh, we can still own the firearms that we want. We don't have to buy a Floyd card. Just a, a more decentralized government. I think a libertarian government would be more decentralized. The counties and the municipalities would have more power to govern themselves how they see fit. Um, not just with gun laws, but with um, you know our, our tax dollars, like property tax dollars are going into Chicago to pay for Chicago public schools. Um, I think that even most Democrats around here would like to see a lower property tax bill and knowing that their their property tax money is only going to the education of their children and their neighbors. I can I can get behind you on that real quick. My my mom living in Heron, they pay five times more a year for their property taxes than what I do on my house here mm-hmm. in Metro Davidson County. And that is something I think a, a lot of people could could get together on. But I'm surprised I haven't fixed it. I mean, Illinois had an 88-member task force assigned to fix the property tax system. So I don't know how they haven't fixed that already. It's, we were joking about that yesterday. It's insane. 88 people they put together to try and figure out how they could fix their property taxes, and they didn't meet their deadline, so they didn't do anything. Well, I think that what, uh, what you see is that, well, for one, when you um, create a new government agency to shrink the size of government, you need to take a step back and think about what you're doing. Uh, uh, for two, I think when you get 88 different people in a room, you're going to have 88 different ideas. Um, it, it would be hard, I think, for just one task force to tackle the, uh, just the, uh, the mess that our property tax code is especially if they have a deadline to come to an agreement on something. Yeah, I mean, we were laughing about how it they they took it they put 88 people together and what they're really trying to do is um find a number that was lower than the current number and that's really what they needed to do <laughs> was uh, was find a, a like this isn't NASA trying to figure out how to land on the moon here or anything. You know, the this is right. 88 people come together and what they need to do is look at the current number and then they need the backspace and then type in a lower number. And, and, and that's what actually, uh, should happen for them. But, uh, real quick before we get off here, tell me about, um, who are you running against? Who's your main competition here? You know, who's it look like, uh, is gonna, is, is, you know, leading right now and, and how is it going running against them? What are you up against and what can we do to help as far as that goes? Well, I think that, uh, this is a rare race where it could be anybody's game. There's no Democrat in this race. Uh, myself, a Republican, and a Green Party candidate. Hmm. Um, you see, there's no polling data that I can find. I was looking for it actually earlier today. Someone made a comment on one of my posts that I was surging in the polls, and I wanted to I wanted to see those numbers, and I can't find them. But what I do know is that our social media director says that we get seven times more engagement on a typical week than Republican Paul Jacobs on his social media. We have more followers. And uh, Paul Jacobs spent a lot of money on, on a bloody primary. He won by less than 200 votes in a five-way race. Um, 
So that means, you know, a lot of people were out there looking for a different guy. Uh, Green Party candidate Randy Oxshire, at first, it looked like he was running just a paper campaign, but he's actually uh, doing some active campaigning now. Um, uh, you know, which is good for him. I encourage him to get out and, and, and meet with the voters and stuff, even if it's, you know, even if it's uh, not the healthiest thing to happen for my campaign. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Jacobs is just your run-of-the-mill moderate Republican. He He's really good at, he knows the numbers. He can tell you, you know, how much debt we have and how many years it would take to pay it off at this rate is. Uh, he can compare it to, he can pull pull the numbers out of his head. This is what Missouri does. This is what Kentucky does. But when it comes to actually presenting solutions, you don't get that from him. He says that he's pro Second Amendment, but you don't have any solutions as far as like repealing the Floyd card or repealing the concealed carry card or anything like that. He just speaks on this vague talking point of, you know, uh, for the Second Amendment. Oxier has a lot more policy proposals than Jacobs. But they are ones like he wants to uh, convert some of the existing railways over to a high-speed rail system to provide low-cost uh, low transportation, which I think sounds like a good idea on paper until you start to realize that the existing railways in Southern Illinois can't support a high-speed rail. Yeah, I was going to say, those, so, are, those aren't high-speed rails. Those, are, those take different rails. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So, I, again, when your state's penniless, I don't know how you come up with massive infrastructure um, overhauls like that. Yeah. Uh, he, one thing where I, I, I actually do, I don't just, I don't agree with his idea, but I like it better than the current system is um, setting the uh, gun control code up to the county. So Cook County can have their gun laws. We can have ours. I, at the end of the day, I support the second amendment. Any, any gun control law is an infringement of your constitutional right. And it doesn't matter how bad gun crime gets. The government has no right to take your rights away from you. Um, that being said, I would take his system over the one that currently exists. All right. Well, I know you have another interview you have to run over to. So I would recommend to everyone that they go to peakliberty.com and support Ian's campaign. Go find them on Facebook, the Twitter, all those things on social media. Sounds like you're doing really well on all of that. And I'm going to be pulling for you. I've All my family and friends are up there. And now that I've talked to you, I'm definitely going to be mentioning that and we're going to uh, be cutting this and putting it out soon. And man, I really appreciate your time. All right. I thank you, Nate. I hope you have a great day.